Welcome to Inspired Artist Podcast with me, Porter Singer, aka Sirgan Carr. I'm speaking with Ajit in this episode, and we start off talking about the transition that she's going through now in staying home and staying put when she is more used to traveling and touring. Um, She has just released her latest single, Dance of the Moon, which is part of a compilation of moon-inspired songs that she'll be progressively releasing, so look out for those. Um, My favorite part of this episode is listening to her talk about the story behind her song, Hesea, and making a very specific choice about how she was going to handle the very tender topic of competition among women. So I think you're really going to enjoy this. Here we go. Usually sort of split between uh, the East Coast and Europe. I kind of split my time equally between both when I'm not touring. And um, and quite a lot of my sort of life is based there. And, um, and I had just done a tour around the whole globe. So I had just gone like Italy to um, Asia, like Thailand, Bali, New Zealand, Australia, Hawaii, and then back to Boston. Um, and then like two days after we got back, they closed, um, all of the flights to, to England and Ireland and, um, also closed Hawaii. So we got so lucky, just kind of got it the, the right moment. Um, but it's actually, I mean, it's pretty amazing. I think, um, I usually tour quite a lot. And so it's actually, um, a, there, there are a lot of silver linings in this time for me, you know, just being able to like give my, my body the rest it needs and sort of take a pause for creativity too. You know, it, it, it just brings out something different, like having the time of pause. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm intermittently muting myself because somebody is blowing their um, garden leaves in the background hopefully you can't hear that um yeah it it's it must be quite a difference for you I mean you were touring like was it all year basically yeah I mean I don't even know how it how it happened I feel like I maybe have some sort of a a musician's illness or something like I compulsive compulsive touring or something it's probably diagnosable um it's It's like that yeah, it like just started basically. I do not have that illness, by the way. <laughs> I'm so jealous. I know. I was actually thinking. I was like, I have to. I have to like talk to you about this more because I've I've noticed that you don't have this illness, and I need to find that balance. Um, but yeah, I I started touring like right after I finished university that summer after graduating. I went on my first tour, and I've pretty much toured like. Um, at least half the time, if not like three quarters of the time of each year since. Um, And it's always sort of like go away for six weeks, come home for three weeks, go away for four weeks and come home for two weeks. You know, it's this, it's this constant movement between the reality of home life and traveling, um, which I, I don't know, for those who are like, astrologically inclined I'm Sagittarius double Sagittarius so I have a lot of that like get out and feel free and be in constant change Mm -hmm. Um, but I think then just the like human part of me 
is is also like oh okay it's good to have some consistency and like also take a pause from that that constant change and be able to have a little more like reflection and um yeah it feels important yeah well you know and in my case the antidote to the compulsive traveling is simply children Mm -hmm. Um, so but it must be nice to you know you've done so much I mean you know it's it's not to say that like your your touring has been fruitless or anything I mean like what a wonderful um uh, fan base you've built you know a wonderful community so yeah I mean I wouldn't I definitely wouldn't change it for anything like I think that feeling of um I mean you know just that feeling when you're singing a song that you've written that you feel um really connected to and then you're you're hearing like an audience singing it back to you or like or someone you know being able to come up to you across the world and be like I listen to your song every day and like to hear that face to face is so different than to get a message online even though of course as artists we appreciate them whatever is coming online it's different to go out into the world and share your music and then feel the the response from people in this shared community experience of music in in a venue like there's nothing like that feeling so I think I am just um smitten with that feeling to the point that it makes travel worth it Mm -hmm. yeah so do you do you feel like you miss it right now or I definitely do, especially because my my band and my whole team are kind of like family. Like I don't have children and I, um, you know, I'm not married and it's that like that world is sort of my world and it's this traveling world. And so I think I think there probably are, are a lot of other musicians in that in that sort of state right now and and other people whose work is travel based who you're used to spending your day to day with a certain group of people. And now we're all sort of stuck like across in all different parts of the world, which is just a really interesting new reality. Yeah. Do you mind me asking you like, so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll tell you the update in my life. I'm not married actually Mm -hmm. um, as of like a few weeks ago. Oh, Um, wow. Congratulations. (laughs) Um, So well, one of the things that and you can talk about that if you want, but one of the things that I've just so admired about just watching your growth on this, because, you know, I, I met you before you were known to people and um, I've just really loved how elegantly you've kind of transitioned from, you know, being a mantra, like an only kind of Kundalini yoga mantra artist to doing your own thing now. Um, and you haven't, to my knowledge, really like, discussed it before doing it or after it's just sort of been this seamless transition um Mm -hmm. do you feel like talking about that sure yeah I mean I feel like that's that's a really natural thing for us to be able to talk about too because we've both had our own our own sort of journeys with it and um and it's interesting sort of being like both artists within a genre you there's this kinship and like this feeling of sort of seeing each other from afar and like rooting each other on and every now and then seeing each other at festivals. And um, yeah, I feel like, I mean, it's probably one of my favorite things about being a a musician that we have these sort of these friendships from afar with other musicians. Some of them we, you know, cross paths more than others, but there's a way that we can sort of understand each other's experience that's 
different than um, probably most people. So I feel like you probably, even without me having talked about it much, you probably understand a lot of it like better than most people would. Um, because I think for me, it's been about um, like, to me, being an artist is keeping a certain amount of life and vitality and inspiration in, in myself as an artist about whatever it is that I'm offering or that I'm exploring in my own process and my own work. Um, it has to be like exciting and real for me or else it doesn't, I don't feel that I'm, I'm not meant to be an actress. So <laughs> I have to like be quite real about whatever's happening in my world and let that be reflected in the art that I make. And otherwise I feel it wouldn't be very interesting. So I think at the time that I was really recording a lot of mantras was when I was, um, you know, traveling to India a lot, spending a lot of time um, in India studying and, um, and really into also studying like classical Indian music and Gurmukhi text and, um, you know, being able to read and pronounce these really ancient um, mantras. I think there was a lot of vitality in that and excitement in me for that um, at that time. And then also I was like 20 years old, so, um, or 19 um, when I was traveling in India and doing that study. And so I think it's very natural that things sort of evolved for me and my interests and um, actually sort of evolved back to more my roots and how the type of music I grew up singing. Um, and I just felt um, like almost studying another folk tradition sort of led me back to a deeper appreciation of um, the folk tradition that introduced me to music. And so the last few years, yeah, it was a very like gradual transition for me as well. Like I think I didn't, I didn't say, okay, everyone, like I'm making this shift because I didn't even consciously make that shift. It was more just, I've been exploring myself, my own journey. And I think that just gets reflected in like what I end up putting out. Yeah. And it, I think that I was seeing that shift in quite a few of the the musicians that were happening. I think I, I was sort of like resisting that mm. <laughs> for, for the long, you know, for a while. And, you know, watching like Jai Jagdish and Simrit and kind of just sort of do their own thing and not do exactly what um, I think. I mean, do you think it would be fair to say it was sort of like seeing Sonatum and kind of emulating what that looks like and seeing that that was sort of like the picture of the mantra artist within that genre and yeah definitely and I think in my case probably especially because um like I first met Sonatum when I was probably like eight or nine at um women's camp in New Mexico at this like women's retreat um that I was there with my mom and and Sonatum would play every morning and um, she would play this one song that I really loved and I like listened to it. It was on a CD and I listened to it in the car, like going to school every day the following year. And I, I really, she was a teenager at that point. And so there was that sort of thing of like being a young, like a little kid and there's this really cool teenager. And like, um, so my, my relationship with Sonata goes back quite far in that way of like really admiring her as a singer and, um, as a spiritual person at that time, she was very into activism. And um, the song that I loved was actually in English. It was her own like poetry and her own 
English song. Um, and she, she had like this sort of fire to her approach to um, that sort of activist fire, you know? Um, and so I think I, there was a lot I really admired about her. Um, and then when I was a little bit older, I saw her in concert with Guru Ganesha. Um, and again, that was at this time when they were touring together where she was quite young. Um, and I was still probably like 13 or so. Um, and it was at Kripalu, which is this retreat center in Massachusetts. And um, Ramdas, who now is in her band again, was in her band then. Um, and they just, it was this time in her career where the music was, like she was singing constantly all different um, faiths, like chants of all different faiths together. Um, and like that Allah, Jehovah, Rama, Satanama, and um, she was constantly talking about the environment. And yeah, there were just a lot of things about her, how she used her identity as a spiritual person to speak for a more unified sort of feeling um, that I really admired. And, um, and then I, so I do think then when Spirit Voyage like wanted me to do an album, I was, I was sort of like, Sure. And, and to me, that was, it was this thing, probably a combined thing between the record label and the people who were there at that time. It, it wasn't like a time when there were a lot of ar other artists yet doing other things successfully. It was sort of like Sonatum was so much that uh, main figure within that world that we were both part of. And so I think it was quite easy for me to like fit into my first album. It could, it's with Sonata's producer. It could basically be her album. Like it doesn't, to me, it doesn't have musically that much difference mm -hmm. um, in style. So yeah, I definitely, I don't, I don't necessarily like reject that or fight that in any way because I think it's, it was a part of, she was a part of my sort of um, inclination towards sharing music publicly and um, also seeing how that gives you a platform to really represent the things that you believe in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what a great platform um, Spirit Voyage was for you. I mean, that, mm -hmm. that was amazing. And, and it is really cool to see you do something, you do something so different and to be so well received within that container. Yeah. Yeah. I think for all of us, like, I mean, even your your podcast is called Inspired Artist, right? Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's the thing. Like, if you're an artist, it's just, it's just about being, being inspired and doing the things that um, are, are like, like, light you up, you know? And um, I think it can be easy at times to continue doing something that people have received well. And I've always really consciously decided not to do that, that I would rather do something that I feel really good about and have people just be like, what are you about? <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> I would so much rather that than the feeling of um, kind of continuing doing something that didn't feel like me uh, for a long time. So you made your, correct me if I'm wrong, but your first independent album with, with Rising Appalachia? Yeah, I um, they were they were featured on a track, yeah, and um, and a couple of other artists who are kind of outside um, of the more mantra genre 
um, this really beautiful couple who have a band called Minook who are also on that album. And he's Swedish and she's from Colombia. Um, and they make really amazing sort of reggae medicine music. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's definitely the thing that sort of lights me up is like collaborating with other artists. And especially when we have sort of different essences that when you combine them, it's like alchemy, this third wonderful, strange thing comes out of it. I think that's really fun. That's really cool. Did you guys all meet live? Like, were you were you at festivals together or like how did that connection happen? Yeah, I met Marcus um, in in Bali um, when I was recording an album there and um, and his partner Ale, they were just getting together, but they she wasn't there. She had left Bali. So um, but then when we recorded, they recorded at their studio in Colombia. Um, and I actually do a lot of that sort of like recording all over the world. That that album in particular was really recorded in a lot of different countries. Um, it was it was quite amazing. That must be that's really interesting. I I don't think it, it ever occurred to me that the album would have been recorded in different places. I guess I sort of assume that like one studio is used for per album. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I so I got into producing music a few years ago, and um, and so Indigo Sea was my first independent album, and also the first album that I did all the recording and mixing for, or most of the recording, um, and then except for people who I was collaborating with who sent me things from afar, um, and then I I mixed the album, and um, I don't master it. I have a really amazing mastering engineer, um, but yeah, for the most part, I'm sort of doing that process. And that does give me a freedom to, like when we're on tour, if we meet someone really amazing, um, I travel with like sort of a mobile recording situation and I'm able to record either my band, record ideas on the road and also record, you know, kind of wherever. So for this one, I went and set up a little more of a permanent temporary recording studio in Ireland because I was with this album really sort of connecting back to my roots in Irish music and sharing songs in the Irish language that I've learned from from my relatives there. So I really wanted to actually record the songs in the place and um, record um, also sounds of nature. Um, I love having nature sounds in the music. So I was recording like the sound of the sea and the waves and the birds and, you know, all these different um, sort of field recordings also um, in the west of Ireland and, and then recording there as well and recording local musicians. So, um, and then I finished recording the album when we were on tour in South America. So a lot of it ended up being recorded in Mexico or in South America um, and then the rest of it in, in Ireland. So it was, it was spread out. <laughs> That is really cool that you're mixing. I had no idea. So I I love producing, but I've never um, taken it upon myself to mix anything. Did you kind of observe other people? Was that something that you knew how to do before? Or like, how did you acquire that skill? Yeah, it was strange how it happened. I have a background in video editing. So I had, you know, I have sort of an inclination towards and an understanding of um, a number of different editing softwares for video, which does kind of transfer over a little bit to some of the technical aspects 
um, and definitely some of the more overarching themes of filmmaking to to record making like there's a lot of parallels but um, it, it sort of it had never occurred to me like I real this is something that I've been really interested in it never occurred to me to produce music um, and I realized it's almost because you see it so infrequently like you see female engineers or producers so so infrequently that it almost wasn't in my psyche um, to have that as as a possibility um, but I I ended up getting into it because I was uh, producing albums, three different albums, I think I did with Manish Damore. Um, and he's, he's great. So solo artist and great producer. And, um, I think, I think he would be, be happy to say he's a little bit eccentric, you know, he's, he's pretty like out there with his methods and his studio style. And I think a lot of great producers are, you know, a little bit like crazy in how they, how they draw whatever that is out of the artist. They spend a um, lot of time on their own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Yeah. But um but it's also this certain personality that it's almost like he's willing to do anything. Like he's not he's not so held back and worried about being polite. Like he'll just mm. he'll just get get we'll just get there one way or another. We'll just get to the music. Um, and he kind of puts the music first always. And so um, he ended up after a couple of albums, he just started, I was interested. So he just started teaching me stuff in the studio as we were tracking. Um, and then on Haseya, um, which was my second album that I did with him, um, a couple of songs came to us after I had already left. Um, and and he was just like, you just record them. Like, you can do it. You have the skills. Just just do it. And I was in Mexico and I had to, I was in Mexico City. I had to record in the middle of the night because there's so, if, I, if you've been to Mexico City, like, it's loud. There's like <laughs> these squeals of sweet potatoes. They roll the sweet potato machine down the street and the little oven of the sweet potato does this squeal that is its own pitch. <laughs> like, <laughs> so intense. And, um, so I had to record like between 11 at night and like three in the morning every night to get the recordings. Um, and I had to put, I was at, um, at my partner's grandmother's house and, and, um, I had to put like comforters all over me, like all around me to make, uh, an acoustically sound space. <laughs> So yeah, it was it was pretty humble beginnings of like my my recording process, and then I'd send them to him. So that was when I started just like um, recording some things, and I'd send them on to to my producer, and he'd mix them. And that sort of evolved into me getting more equipment, um, kind of under his guidance, and like developing more of a space, and then continuing to send it to him, and he'd mix it. Mm -hmm. And then that sort of slowly evolved into me being like, wait, I can, I can record. I know how to mix, but like, do I have the confidence to do it? And um, sort of just deciding to, um, to produce that album and uh, sort of take that leap in just having the confidence really. Um, and then with that album, I actually applied to Berkeley's uh, master's program in, in um, engineering and music production um, with that album sort of like everyone else had 
undergraduate degrees in recording or like ran recording studios and um my experience basically was that album that I had that I had produced and so I submitted it and um was pretty surprised to get in to that program um so I've, I've been doing I guess um almost a year of that program um which is pretty awesome just having like I I always feel like it's just the best to get um people who have really mastered their craft like I I always sort of am inclined to find the people who are the absolute best at whatever it is um and then sort of hand myself over to them and learn as much as I can so um yeah now at this point I feel like I've had so much amazing support to gain the skills that I have and I actually feel like very happy with my studio and with my um with the people I have supporting me and then also with the skills that I have, like I feel I've gotten that sort of confidence that definitely took a while to, to come into. That's amazing. So you're getting a degree right now. It's mm-hmm. you're kind of like in the middle of it. Yeah. That's kind of, I have, I don't mention that very often to people because they think <laughs> I'm nuts to like have an entire career going and also be getting a master's degree in engineering but I think that's I think that's fabulous I mean why stop learning yeah yeah Yeah, and I just feel if you're going to do it like why not um do it as best you can and Berkeley is a pretty amazing place with some incredible people to um to have supporting me to do it as best I can Mm -hmm. so when is that oh go ahead were you gonna say something well, I was just going to add the piece, which is, um, you know, more of a sensitive piece, but also like the gender side of things. I, there was a lot of resistance to my, when I was initially doing um, things, you know, part of it was that I kind of, that people didn't know that I had any experience in that way. And so I think that was part of the questioning, but there was also a lot of sort of resistance just to like, wait, she's a female artist, like just stay in your lane, like do do what you do well and let us do the rest. And there were actually a number of producers who went to the head of um, Spirit Voyage, the head of the label that I was working with and were like, you can't let her record, you can't let her produce. And she was like, why not? <laughs> like, <laughs> Sounds good, so what's the problem? Um, and so also Berkeley for me has been a part of being able to just let, I think for, for anyone whose kind of ability is questioned because of things like gender or all the other ridiculous reasons that um, people are are questioned that don't have to do with their skill, I think the thing to do is to just be like the most excellent you can be at it and sort of let the work speak for itself. So that's that's been sort of my approach and my attempt to just, if if people question it, just do it better basically. So are you working, you are working on something now. I got an email about, um, about a new album or I guess, are you done? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yes and yes. (laughs) I guess I'm, I'm compulsively touring and compulsively making music. Um, so I have, I have an EP that's in the process of being released. We're releasing like one track at a time. It's, four tracks that each are with a phase of the moon, sort of a reflection of the phase of the moon. Um, And that's been really fun too. I actually 
um, went back to do that project with Spirit Voyage with with the label um, that I had done my past albums with. And that was a really fun sort of full circle because um, it was just nice to be able to, um, like this, this is the first album or EP that they've released with a female producer and um, with a, an artist who's producing, self-producing. And so um, I just was really sort of honored to have that, like to have them put that trust in me. And it's kind of different than me just being like, well, I'm going to make my stuff. And mm-hmm. um, that's one thing. But then when other people sort of like entrust you to to do it really well, that's another sort of motivation. They are an incredible entity because I don't know that any other record label would let you go off and make your own stuff and then come back and do, I mean, that's really unheard of. Usually they lock you yeah. in for an obscene amount of albums um, and you're not allowed to do anything on your own. So, I mean, yeah, that's pretty incredible here. I mean, throughout the whole process, like, um, you know, Cut-In who runs Spirit Voyage is just this force of nature. Like she's, she's pretty incredible. And um, throughout my time with them, like I constantly was wanting to do things that were, that were out of what they were used to doing, like outside of what, like when I first on Hisei, I wanted to use this photo where like I was in a river and my hair was down and they were so, they had me in this like super spiritual, more like airy, um, love and light religious vibe. And then I was just like, I had like a dread with, with all these rainbow things hanging off of it that these kids in India had like done to my hair. And, um, and it was, there's just a, a way in which they would look at, they'd have like a photo that was on brand, you know, and then they'd have this weird thing I wanted to use. And, and I'd be like, I want to do the crazy one. And cut like, you know that it might not work. <laughs> I know. And she's like, okay, we'll see, <laughs> you know, like, kind of, okay. Um, and I really admire that she was willing to always like, as I was trying different things, like she really was, it took some conversations for sure. And some of like me explaining why I felt drawn to certain things, but she's always been able to get on board and support me. And um, even when I, I called her and said, um, I, I had done, you know, all these albums with her and I called her and I was like, I want to do an album of Irish music and I'm producing it myself. And she's like, you realize that's like completely outside of everything you've ever done and like completely out of left field and Mm -hmm. people might not be interested. (laughs) Um, but she was also like, you know, I think that's great. And I think you should totally do it. And I was like, I think I want to do it, you know, just on my own. She's like, you 100% have my blessing. Let me know how I can help. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like such a, such an amazing um, example of just how someone could be in a position of leadership. Um, and then, yeah, to be able to then um, sort of hear, like I sent her the, the album as I was working on it. And, um, she actually, she actually wrote my recommendation for Berkeley. Like when I decided to go back to school, head of the label (laughs) wrote my, my, um, and she was just like, you know, this album that she made, like it stands up 
with the the albums that um, all of these producers made who have been working for for 20 years and um, because of that like I'm going to give her work when she's out of your program or during your program and um, and so yeah across the board like she's just she's such a huge part of why I'm why I'm who I am and doing what I'm doing Um, so that's yeah that's pretty amazing I think to just how much how much one person being like really embodied and kind of fierce and courageous in a position of leadership like how much they can encourage you to grow into yourself is quite inspiring Mm. she makes a really good leader she does (laughs) yeah so and and what perfect timing too because I imagine that they are naturally going to want to expand their repertoire um, you know, given what's going on right now in the Kundalini yoga scene. Totally. And yeah. would like, so the timing couldn't have been better for you to, to be like just naturally wanting to stretch those limits. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because when, um, when we started the conversations about doing this lunar album, we were kind of trying to find a way to do something that would be really um, like sort of speak to the people who, liked my first albums that have more meditative um, qualities to them. And, and so um, we sort of decided on like two tracks that are songs and two tracks that are more meditative and, and work really well for yoga practice. Um, But then it's been really interesting to have everything sort of evolve. And now at the time of releasing it, that like, it's like a moot point, you know, it doesn't really matter anymore. (laughs) It's kind of like, you know, we're all, we're all people. And, and now it's just, um, it's nice that the music can just kind of stand for itself. Mm-hmm. Of course, like it's, it's really difficult. I think that a lot of people have had to be hurt and go through a lot of difficulty and pain in this process. But I think in the end, like everyone feeling more that it's important to find their own way, um, I think is quite a good silver lining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's, you know, it's the time, the time for us to realize that we don't have to look up to anybody. (laughs) Totally. Can I ask what, how are you finding that um, process of like mantra versus songs and where are you at with that at the moment? Um, Well, we've actually, so I've been collaborating with someone in Sweden um, and we've actually been doing a lot of cover songs and I kind of started I started with this idea that I really like reinterpreting music mm-hmm. and I thought I could find like songs that had had kind of like a spiritual vibe to them anyway, you know, in their mm-hmm. lyrics. And mm-hmm. so, and I didn't realize what I was doing, but I think what I was doing is I was sort of like getting myself prepared for my English language songs that I'm going to release soon, you know, my, my songs. Cause that's how I started. I was a songwriter and then I, yeah. I put on a, a suit. I put on like a a costume for a few years, which was really beneficial for me. It was great to be Mm. able to play act, you know, this, this spiritual persona kind of, so I got to find who I was in that. Mm. Um, And then, you know, and then evolve into what I'm going to do next. I have a feeling that I will keep doing some sort of mantra music because Mm. I do enjoy the like repetitive nature of things for the moment. And I still, you know, have ties to people who are doing that. Um, But but yeah, I think I'm going to, I think I, you're, I'm going to be releasing some songs. 
some like mm. original songs soon. Cool. I can't wait to hear. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really fun how um how much cover like you were saying the covers sort of like we're preparing you for your own English songs and somebody actually a friend just asked me yesterday they were like what do you think of covering music like do you think it's unoriginal or you know and I was like are you kidding me like learn as many songs as you possibly can like every time you get to cover someone's song it's like you step into their artistic mind and you get totally re-inspired by this other way of looking at and feeling music like I, I find it really really educational and also just sort of even in in your own like musical or creative self it's like walls expand or something you know when you sing someone else's song and and even see like the way they they moved through the chord progression or the they found the melody that's a really good point yeah i do find that i i didn't actually know that much about song structure when i when I was doing songwriting before the mantra stuff, I've always been kind of like, um, like I want to learn as I do. I don't mm-hmm. want to spend a lot of time studying before I like start, you know, mm-hmm. and, I, and I learn better if I'm doing so. Mm. Yeah. What is your, what's your musical background? Like how did you start singing? I've been singing forever. My mom was a singer. Um, yeah, because you have such a beautiful voice and such a like, what sounds like a very trained voice my mom never wanted me to do voice lessons so I never did she she felt like if I did voice lessons that it would I think she didn't like her own voice lessons like the ones that she had taken so she felt like it would it would rob me of my original voice or like yeah so I never did voice lessons um I started and my dad wanted me to play piano so Mm. I I I got really into that in college um, and I got Mm. kind of out of it after I had kids who didn't like me playing piano and I hope to get re into it again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My, my dad is a composer, has a, like a master's in, in musical composition and does a lot of like, um, arranging for choirs and things and and he's a pianist. And so I totally know that feeling of, I remember actually when I was a teenager, like uh, my family has always traveled a ton and we'd go away for the summer. And the feeling of coming home to the piano, like that feeling of being able to touch it for the first time, it's just like coming to water in the desert. <laughs> yeah, it good. is. There's something, but like, it's very different to play a keyboard. I don't have a physical piano right now. Very different experience. And I had an upright, which is a very different experience. Like when I go to my dad's and he has a, a baby grand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's magic. Like instruments, like they have, they have sort of a spirit, I'm sure. Like every instrument has its own spirit and um they bring something out in you like each one I didn't realize about that about your dad I knew that he Mm. was an author but I didn't realize that he was a composer yeah he's had such a such an interesting life like I I really admire him for that being one of those examples of sort of following life in a really weird um way and then realizing that everything sort of has its place so yeah, he was in a monastery um, until he was 28, um, as studying to be a priest, a Catholic priest. Wow. And um, so he, his role in the monastery was, was music, like he played the organ. Um, and my grandfather is a musician, so he already kind of went into the monastery with, with musical ability. And so that sort of became his thing. And then when he left the monastery, he was like, what do I do? And he went to school. Um, got his master's in in music 
Um, and then he went and got like a ton of other degrees in religion and psychology and things um, and ended up writing books. But I think music is just like, it's his, it's his love, really. How do you think it was for him to sort of watch you go through your like evolution and, and spirituality and religion and, and all that? Like, was he just sort of watching in the wings or did he have like an opinion about it? A little bit of both. Like um, anyone who knows my dad knows that he like is, he's, it's almost a superpower how well he keeps his opinions to himself mm-hmm. and how much he can kind of give people space to just do, do their thing and go through their process. Um, you'd think he didn't have an opinion, but he does, but he's so good at hiding it that it's like poker face, you know? So a lot of it was, I think, just him letting it happen. But there were a few moments where I was doing certain things and he would give me sort of a word, a word of warning being like, you know, you're really young. <laughs> like, <laughs> and also I think it sort of mirrored his experience so much of being like a teenager and a really young person in that state where you're you're like searching for something and then you find things that are really inspiring but they're part of this larger spiritual world that asks a lot in exchange for those things so i think it was probably i don't know for sure but i think it was probably quite difficult for him to have to let me just go through sort of the same mistakes as he did in a way um, but knowing that also they lead to, you know, learning things and, and becoming who you are. So, um, yeah, definitely props to him for sort of just letting, letting me do it without being like, I know better, I've been through this, <laughs> even though it's true. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, if only that were enough, though, you think like, you can't just come into reality. Like, it, I mean, that must be like the, the best proof for we don't come here to like get it all right. We come here to have some sort of experience, right? Because if we really yeah. did come here to get it all right, we'd be like, all right, tell me what works, you know, and I'll just yeah. do that. <laughs> totally. And I, I don't know. I don't really like, I don't, I don't take things too heavily in terms of, you know, it's important to think a lot about what we do and how we act and everything but I also think it's important to to not like hold ourselves to perfection in the way that we have to always make the right decisions like I think that living in an ashram and like um you know (laughs) letting all kinds of strange people tell me to do all kinds of strange things for (laughs) weird reasons like I just learned a lot from from those experiences um And I also learned a lot from the like genuine, beautiful, meditative experiences and things of that nature. But there was definitely big shadow to it, like really big shadow to that spiritual community that um, I just feel I learned a lot from. And I'm grateful to have had the experience. And the same same way as, you know, um, like both of us, I think, you know, getting married really young and, um, and within that sort of spiritual community. And, um, like I think ever, anytime that somebody chooses to, to get married, like, or to make some big act towards love in their life, like it's, it's kind of a beautiful thing, no matter what is happening, that you take that leap towards, towards love and, Um, and then if it doesn't work out and you choose a different path, like that's also a really beautiful thing. 
everything. Like I, that's why I'm like, congratulations, you got divorced. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. Oh, I didn't day. think that was weird at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really, I mean, that's pretty impressive that you, fig- you are younger than me, <laughs> that you figured that out. You know, I think, I, I think that that's something that really kept me in it longer was this sense of, um, it was a sense of fear of like, what happens when, when I stop, what happens when I stop mm-hmm. doing this? It was yeah. something I, it, it, it's definitely not like this, but there's this show on Netflix called Unorthodox that I started watching. Oh my God. Everyone needs to go watch it. Stop whatever <laughs> you're doing. Call your job. Tell them you're busy for the next two days. Like that show is everything. It's so good, right? But yeah. I was like, that I totally relate, you know, cause I, yeah. my partner's, my, my partner's I'm sure is thinking like, why would you just, why would you think that? Why would you keep doing that? Like, you don't know, you don't know what it's like to think that if you stop doing these ridiculous things that you're just going to be like, I don't know, destitute, go insane. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah. No, it's totally true. Like when you're in, when you're in that world, it, everything in there looks normal and, yeah. and then and like leaving looks really quite impossible and like so much shame and so much guilt. And, um, and then when you actually just are yourself and you just do what, like nobody cares that much. Yeah. I don't it's know. True. I, I don't true. know about you, but I didn't get like any, any amount of the, this like flack for it. And I did it, I did it before all of the Yogi Bhajan yeah. questioning and, yeah. um, it was like one person, I'm sure I won't name any names, but like, I'm sure you can imagine who it was like one person called me and like was judging <laughs> about my choices. And other than that, like nobody cared. We're mm-hmm. all living our own lives and we think that people care so much. Yeah. About <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah. So true. Um, yeah. Somebody, I was talking to my friend yesterday actually, and she was like, so, you know, have you gotten much backlash for, you know, whatever, not wearing a head covering anymore, changing your like, no, no one seems to care, you know, or like there's, you know, maybe they're talking about it, but they're not talking to me about it, which is the same thing. Um, (laughs) But I actually, this act, this process actually started before all of the stories started coming out for me. It was like maybe a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it was like, it was a very sort of gradual thing. Yeah. What was coming. Totally. And I think that is, that that was my experience too, that it was just very gradual and almost like my mind catching up with it. Like even when I, when I released the album with my, without a head cover and there were like mantras on it, you know, people were worried about, about that. And I was just kind of like, it didn't even cross my mind that I just was leaving that whole thing behind. Like Mm -hmm. I thought that it was still very important to me, but I just also thought there was space for hair. Like I've never... (laughs) even when I was like really into mantra and chanting, I was kind of like, but like, what's really the problem with my hair being down, you know? Um, And so, yeah, it's interesting how the process has to unfold. And that's not only, I think, leaving an intense spiritual community, but it's also like anything in life. You know, I think it's very universal that we have to let those things sort of reveal themselves Mm -hmm. all the time. Sure. Yeah, I remember it like, I don't know if you remember this, but um, last, I don't even know when that was, I guess it was like about a year ago, maybe um, when we were at Satnam Fest, um, I was practicing a song with my band and you were there and you were sitting there and, and like, I got this feeling when we were sitting there together, we were talking and I got this feeling, I was like, I feel like she's just gonna like 
do something wild. Like, and I almost felt like you wanted to talk to me about it, but I was like, I'm going to let her say anything if she wants to. But, um, oh, I already was. I think that was the first time for a while that I'd actually worn something on my head because it was the festival. (laughs) Yeah, that's understandable. I remember that stage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was such an amazing moment for me. I was thinking about that the other day because, um, I think a lot about like inspired ideas. Now that's why I named this podcast inspired podcast, but it's like these, you know, these messages that come to you when you're in a receptive state. Mm-hmm. And it was only that moment that you happened to be behind that tent that it even occurred to me that there was a back, like an, a backside to that tent. Every other time mm-hmm. I had gone the other way around it. So it was, and you know, and there you were, and it was, it was so perfect. Yeah. Yeah, it was just like a, a really sweet moment that stayed in my mind. And I I sort of just, I don't know. I think that was that was a very like feminine moment in that sometimes women do this strange thing where like we're, there's this knowing and you, you don't talk about anything, but they're like, I kind of felt like we were just giving each other strength <laughs> in that moment because, you know, being in that, um, that environment where both of us have sort of been in a certain role, it takes some like courage I think to then go back to that same environment but maintain like who you are in the present and it's so nice when you feel those moments of other people with you just sort of admiring that courageous move and like us being in it together in a way yeah yeah I think it was actually that it was it was that um Satnam fest that I was gonna lead sadhana and I just had this inspiration to to email Jai Jagdish and tell her how like proud of her I was that she had, you know, done something so courageous because I was thinking of how difficult it was going to be for me to make like Mm. a similar move. And I didn't have parents that expected this of me, you know? Mm. Yeah. And I just, um, I really, I felt like that was really uh, commendable. I don't know. Or like courageous, really courageous. Yeah. It's so important. Like that feeling of, um, there are definitely sort of two ways that artists go with each other. I think I've found there can be competition really easily and almost between the same people. Like there, it can, it can just slide into this sort of comparing like competitive thing, or it can slide into just like, we have each other's backs in this way that is really unshakable, like quite, quite important. And, um, yeah, there was, when I wrote, I wrote this song, Haseya, um, about that, actually. Song, yeah. yeah, and I think for, for, like, other people listening, you know, it can mean many things, but for me, it was actually about, like, female artists. It was quite specific, mm. um, because at that moment, there were, like, I had just had another female artist sort of, um, like, saying things that weren't very kind behind you know behind my back and um my response was to sort of have this like competitive thing of being like well you know and it's just it's so easy to fall into those habits and sort of mimics like you know being on the playground like it just reminded me of being like little kids um you know like trying to figure out how to be girls together and like (laughs) not compare ourselves and just the options we have of how to be with other people, but also with other women. Um, and, and I sort of made this decision. I was just like, I want to cultivate as many friendships and supportive relationships with other female artists. And, um, 
and uh, really feel that like almost as a gift for myself, like to give myself the gift of that like community within an artistic community and especially with other women who, who understand sort of subtleties of what this experience is like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, yeah, that was pretty, that was pretty amazing moment actually for me, that song like kind of changed probably everything. I probably wouldn't even be doing it if I had made a different decision. I think, um, the, the sort of friendships with other women musicians is just one of the things that makes life totally possible. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for, um, for opening up and, you know, talking about all of this with me on the, on the podcast. I think this was, I, I loved it. I hope you did. <laughs> um, yeah, me too. And, and uh, oh, and just, I don't know if this is a quick question or a long, or a, I mean, it's going to be a long answer, but um, what would you like me to call you now? And is this going to, like, is your, your new name on Facebook going to go into your music at some point or? Um, you can call me whatever you like. Um, Ajit is going to continue being my artist name for, you know, this project. And then, uh-huh. um, I, am I am doing a, a duo. I'm part of a duo now called Woven Kin. And with that, I'm using my, my given name, which, um, you know, I haven't ever really done publicly, which is, it's interesting how that's like, there's a vulnerability to that to being like, okay, this is my, this is actually the name that, you know, like the my people call me so it's nice it's nice in a way to start having that be public and it's also a little like I think I have a really strong line between personal life and sort of public mm-hmm. life so it's interesting to blur those um so you can yeah you can call me whatever you like but my other name is Siobhan if you that's really beautiful yeah and what I is what is what am I calling you well, I, yeah, so I'm Porter, but you know, if it's the same thing, it's, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm still responding to Sirgun and that's my actual legal name. So, you okay. know, at this point, cool. um, so yeah. I yeah. Just, it's nice to, it's nice to like, even if both are okay, it's nice to know mm-hmm. like what your, what your preference is. Yeah. Well, I've been, I've been asking people to start calling me Porter again. It mm-hmm. feels, it feels authentic to me. It's such a cool name. I love it. Well, thank you for this. Yeah. It's really nice to connect. And we'll we'll look forward to your new release. When does that come out officially? Um, so we just released When She Rises, um, which was the first single on last Friday. Okay. Um, and then I'll have Dance of the Moon coming out on June twelfth. Oh. Okay. And then kind of throughout the summer, different releases. Um, and then with my duo Woven Kin, we also have, uh, our first single for a new album coming out on May 29th, which is called Oh Sister. Okay, cool. And that's a duo with you and your harpist? Yeah. So her name's Ashling and she tours with me. We do, um, like all of my Ajit concerts, she tours with me. Um, but sort of out of that came an, more of a, like giving more space to sort of our Irish roots and uh, more like singer-songwriter harmony things. Cool. Wonderful. All right. Well, have a great day. You too. I can't wait to hear your your new original songs as well. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Feel free to send them on 
if you if you oh, ever thanks. you know if I can ever support absolutely I, I will thank you sounds good to all right bye bye thanks for listening if you enjoyed this podcast please consider writing a review subscribing to it sharing it this helps other people find it